Okay, we're live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates on today's show. I have a very special guest, returning guest, Stephen B. Ubaney. We talked about his earlier book titled Who Murdered Diana? So if you want to go listen to that, you can go through my archives and see that. But today we're going to talk about, I think it's the first book in the series that he published, which is Who Murdered Elvis? He also has another one titled Who Murdered FDR? And then he has another one coming out in the future, Who Murdered Tesla? I think the publication date, planned publication date is 2024. And Steve's full uh, website is whomurderedbooks.com. So I'll include that in the show notes. I never thought Elvis, I thought Elvis died of a drug overdose. Then I started looking through all the facts of this case. And uh, there's a lot of problems here. So I'm glad Steve returned. So Stephen Ubaney, welcome back to the show. Yeah, it's great to be back. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So for people who may not have heard our last show, can you kind of talk about your background? You said this was the book that you, in the pre-show, you said this was the book you researched the most about. Can you kind of talk about how you're, I know you wrote about it in the book, but how you initially got interested in looking into who murdered Elvis? Well, I've always been a, I've always been a fan. I mean, my mom, I got that from my mom. I think uh, I grew up spinning the original 45s when I was a kid. And when he died, I never believed the story. And I don't think anybody believed it. And we were right not to believe it because it was ridiculous. And, um, you know, as I, as I matured and grew a little older, I wanted to, you know, wanted to learn a few, uh, you know, a few more things about this. And we have these things in our lives that, you know, just don't ring true when we put them in the back burner and say, oh, well, I'll look at that in another time. And well, this was the time. So I was at the 30th anniversary of his death and I'm watching this thing on television and all the people who found his body, there's five or six of them. None of them could agree on where he was found, what color pajamas he was wearing, what time of day it was. I said, man, this is one magical corpse. So you combine that with a fabled cause of death, which I didn't believe in the first place. So I said, you know, I've really got to get to the bottom of, of this. So this is how, you know, this is what started the whole thing. And I didn't, I just started poking around for my own knowledge. I didn't want to know Elvis Presley was murdered. It bugged the hell out of me, you know, especially being a fan. I didn't want to know this. But right. you know, he had a premature death. He died on August 16th, 1977. He was only 42. He didn't look great. He wasn't in great shape. But there's some real, real concerns. I mean, so there, nobody could come up with actually the real story of where his body was found, right? Like, oh, the bed or the bathroom well, or whatever. Yeah, Joe Esposito, his road manager, said at Baptist Memorial Hospital that he was found dead in bed. And then 45 minutes later at Graceland, he told the authorities he was found dead on in the floor in front of the toilet. Well, Joe, Joe, Joe Esposito is no longer with us. But what I can say about Joe is that he always tells us the truth. He just told it four different ways. And everyone involved in this, all of the people who were in his Memphis Mafia, which is his inner group of people, you know, I mean, they, they just continue to tell different stories about the same event. And it's it's crazy. It, re it really is. So I started out trying to get to the bottom of all of it. And this this book, you're right, it was volume one in the series. I did two Elvis books. I did one five years later, which was the fifth anniversary edition that has even more information. In it. So there was 10 years of work that went into this book. And so you started out just by noticing the stories didn't add up with the people surrounding him. Can you talk about Elvis's the the kind of Memphis mafia that surrounded him? 
what he was doing up until the days of his death and kind of he had had a, a pretty curious i think largely unknown connection with law enforcement right yeah elvis was um Elvis had a very interesting connection to law enforcement. Of course, a lot of people don't know that uh, on in December 21st, 1970, he became a federal narcotics agent. And Richard Nixon, he wanted to get that uh, moniker because he wanted to fly around the, the country with his guns on him because he was getting death threats. So um, he was a federal narcotics agent. He also was everywhere he went. Um, every county, every every town, he uh, used the local uh, local sheriff's department and the local police department to help with crowd control and so forth. So he was very, very blue friendly. Um, he got along with cops really, really well. And he collected badges. You know, they would give him honorary badges. It was, it's actually pretty interesting. But um, yeah, he, uh, he was starting to get some, he was really starting to get some very serious death threats. So, you know, he wanted to, uh, he wanted to beef up, uh, he wanted to beef up his, uh, his arms on him. I mean, he would stand at the wedding of Sonny West wearing four pistols. He would go on stage under his, uh, you know, under the uh, bell bottoms with a pistol on his, on his ankle. I mean, this is this isn't conspiracy talk. This is real talk. They wanted this guy dead. Scary stuff. Yeah. What? What? Why did they want him dead? Uh, lots and lots of reasons. I want to first talk about what you mentioned earlier, and then I can go into that about Elvis not looking good at the end, um, which he he did not. Elvis did have a couple of health problems. He had. Um, uh, his, he had hypertension. His blood sugar was a little too high. But the bloated, pasty look that we look back now and say, oh, my God, he was in terrible shape. Um, he uh, Elvis had a birth defect. It was a twisted colon. And it's common in boys. I didn't know that one of my friends is a forensic pathologist. I had a conversation with him and a couple others before I wrote the book. Common in boys to have a twisted colon. And when you combine that with downers, you're going to end up with constipation. If, if, I, if I give you, if I'm a doctor and I prescribe uppers, I mean, you're going to get the runs. Downers are going to constipate you. So you take a birth defect of a twisted colon combined with downers, you're going to be compacted pretty well. And that was discovered at the autopsy. Elvis probably hadn't had a bowel movement for a month. And this contributed to, and he was scheduled for surgery, actually, actually to uh, to take care of it. He never made it. You know, they got to him beforehand. But that explains that that look, you know, that very strange pasty look that he had uh, in, in the last, uh, the last, you know, the last month or so of his uh, of his life. So, right, but he was he also was on drugs too. I mean, he had a huge the the narcotics that he was taking were confirmed. Isn't that true? Yes and no. Prescribed and taking were two different things. Um, in 1976, Elvis Presley almost went bankrupt. He was the biggest. He was the biggest taxpayer in the state of Tennessee. So his father had had to seize his, had to take control of his finances to keep him solvent. So they started to do away with uh, certain things. You know, they sold a plane. Um, which I'll get into later, which was a fiasco, and that's how he ended up. Uh, 
uh, the mob was after him over that, but um, they were trying to keep Alvin. So Elvis's, uh, Elvis's uh, Memphis Mafia, his inner group, were all pill poppers. And Elvis said, look, I don't want to hear about this from my dad. Just write everybody's prescriptions under my name so my dad will get off my back. So a lot was made in 1979, uh, ABC's 2020. Geraldo Rivera did a great special on uh, the death of Elvis. And he, uh, an entire sugar bowl full of pills that Elvis president was prescribed to him, but prescribed and taking are two different things. You know, at the time, so he wasn't, if there was a handful left, there was a couple left in the bowl, Elvis would take them, but everybody had their hands in that bowl. So it wasn't, he wasn't taking what everyone had said he was taking. Um, I had a conversation with his doctor, uh, finally, and he said he didn't even have control of his drugs. There was a, a, a nurse who was on premises uh, who would dispatch his drugs. He didn't have control of his drugs. So everybody's saying, you know, he overdosed, he did this and that is not even close to being true. I mean, this all melts away under the scrutiny of real investigative work. So at the time he, at the time he dies, there are three toxicology reports done on Elvis Presley. And the first one was uh, done at uh, the University of Tennessee, Baptist Memorial, his the hospital he died at, didn't have a, a lab. So the University of Tennessee toxicology report, and there, <laughs> there are four levels of drugs that you find in your system. Trace, therapeutic, which is what a doctor would prescribe you. Toxic, which will make you quite sick, and then of course lethal, and we all know what lethal is. In the case of Elvis Presley, there were um, a couple of drugs that were there were four different drugs that were found between the trace and therapeutic level. So, you know, then they they didn't like that verdict, so they had another one done because if all you have is a hammer, everything starts to look like a nail, right? So. Somebody said he died of a drug overdose, so they're looking for these drugs, man. They got to find these drugs, so they do another toxicology report at, at a place around the corner from the hospital, which has never been confirmed, and their results were the exact same thing. So they can't figure out what, what killed this guy. So finally, a few days later, um, Jerry T. Francisco, who was the um, medical examiner who, who was in charge of the autopsy, um, had promised everyone that he was going to have a verdict that night at 8 o'clock. Just because Noguchi took 11 days to come up with Mar the results of Marilyn Monroe's autopsy. So he goes out without one fingerprint being lifted from Graceland, without any of the toxicology reports being back, saying that he died of cardiac arrhythmia. Which is a bigger story than Mother Goose could tell because a coroner can't diagnose cardiac arrhythmia. You have to have a beating heart. And a regular heartbeat can't be detected on a heart that stopped. Makes no sense. So, and the story. And he had no diagnosis of that before the date of his death, right? So nobody no, had never no. been taking drugs or anything for him. Dr. Nicopolis bore the brunt of this, but he had done, uh, he'd done everything. Uh, everything to check Elvis. I, Dr. Nicopolis got a bad rap. He really cared for Elvis. He, he was really a very nice man. And I think that he took a lot of heat that was brought down on him. But so finally, they're still looking for these drugs, right? Right. And this is where the murder part comes in. And I'll, I'll 
I'll tell you the end from the beginning, and then I go backwards in the story. Okay. Finally, they take tissue samples, and they send them out to bioscience laboratories in California, which at the time, in 1977, was the place. They had the top stuff anybody could want, best equipment, and they had it out there, and they put it under an assumed name, and it came back that Elvis Presley uh, had a laundry list of drugs in his system, and he had codeine in his system at 11 times a lethal level. Sounds great, right? Great story. Wrong. It's not It's not true at all. I don't even know how this happened because uh, Dan Warlick, who was, the, uh, was at the autopsy, who was the person who dissected Elvis's, he did, was dissect his vocal cords, his larynx, looking for um, some sort of swelling, looking for an allergic reaction of, of, uh, of some variety. And there was none. Elvis Presley's allergic to codeine, very allergic. He almost died of anaphylactic shock in 1968. Everyone knew to keep codeine away from Elvis Presley. Well, if there's no sign of anaphylaxis in the body, how can it be 11 times the lethal level at the toxicology report? If it's not in the body, it can't be in a toxicology report. It just can't. So they take this erroneous toxicology report and they give it to my friend, Dr. Cyril Wecht, who had no idea that the first two toxicology reports had been done that showed virtually no drugs in Elvis's system. And they put him on camera and he tells to the waiting world, you know, this laundry list of drugs that would have killed a herd of cattle. And none of it was true. So we have a gigantic cover up here. So. Why did they want Elvis Presley dead? Uh, it's going to be really hard to, uh, to encapsulate that in the time that we have. Uh, Elvis Presley's manager, uh, Colonel Tom Parker, was in the mob. He, uh, he was not a colonel. His name was not Tom Parker. His name was Adrius Van Coo, and he came from the Netherlands. And he snuck over here in the hold of a ship. And I won't, there's details about this in the book that I'm not going to give away. Goes into the army, goes AWOL. And when he goes AWOL, he takes the name of his commanding officer, Tom Parker. And he puts Colonel in front of it because it sounds great, right? Colonel Tom Parker. Right. This is why Elvis Presley could never pray abroad because Colonel Parker could never get a passport because he wasn't an American citizen. He snuck in. So... Colonel Parker had uh, a long-standing friendship with a few mobsters in Vegas. And I'll come up to the murder here in a second. Uh, Milton Prell, who's the first one in Vegas, who was part of the Detroit Syndicate. He owned the Bingo Club, later became the Sahara, the Aladdin, the Mint. Uh, big mob guys. Another one was Mo Dallas, who actually funded uh, GI Blues in 1960. Mm. He became a huge friend to... Um, uh, Colonel Parker. Mo you have Dallas. a picture. Sorry to interrupt, but you have a picture of Elvis with Milton Pearl, right? Yeah, there's a lot of pictures in the book that you're not going to find other places. And um, Mo Dallas owned, you know, this the Desert Inn and the Stardust, and he was from the Cleveland Syndicate. And these are the people that Colonel Parker was hobnobbing around with, because he was managing Minnie Pearl and Gene Austin and Eddie Arnold, and he was a carnival barker back. In the, in the country he came from. So to manage talents like this was, it was natural to him. He was a genius. Colonel Parker was a genius. Uh, 
Um, so here we have his manager in with the mob. Things that he didn't want to do. He didn't want to do those movies. There's a picture, speaking of that picture in my book, um, there's a picture uh, on the set of GI Blues, and everyone in the picture is smiling except Elvis. Elvis was miserable doing those movies. And um, I have to tell a story, and then I'll get to the murder. I'm sorry. I don't mean to lead you along. Well, so the background is very important to know. It's really good. Yeah, sure. Okay. I won't mention the fellow's name because I spoke with him, and he didn't want me to mention his name. But Elvis was so fed up with these movies. They were reading a script, and he was in. He, he had a home in home in California, and he was reading the script. And um, actually, know this gentleman uh, quite well, but he didn't want me to use his name. And he said, "Elvis is flipping through the script," and he flips out. And he said, "Well, I can't tell you the language he used, but he said, you know, I'm a speedboat racer, and this one, the last one was a motorcycle racer. You know, the next one is is a, a you know <laughs> a motorcycle racer, a speedboat racer, stock car racer. It's the same script. I'm not doing it. I've had it." And he takes this script, which was. <laughs> it must have been a hundred thousand pages if you've ever seen a movie script. And I mean, they were burning these movies out at thirty days a movie, right? Yeah. And he throws it up in the air, and he said, "I'm not going." So the next day, he doesn't show up. This is how much he hated this, being forced into it. So the next day, RCA came up, Colonel Parker came up, someone from the studio came up. Uh, the director came up and it was made very, very clear to Elvis that you're going to do these or you're not going to do anything else. And there were people in the room who heard, who heard this and they weren't threatening his career. So after this happens, Colonel Parker pulls him aside, again, overheard by three or four people, two of which I know well, well, knew well, they're no longer with us. And he said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. You're going to do this. You're going to do this. And since I'm doing all this work for you, it's now a 50-50 split. And he back and Colonel backdated it from the beginning of the year. Yeah. Almost a punishment. So it was a 75-25 split. The deal was Elvis would get um 75% and he would pay all the expenses. So the Arnold, the 25% that Colonel took uh, was 25% legally, and he would sell buttons and shirts and you know posters and nobody would ever get a cut of it so the mob is starting to surround elvis presley in 19 and when he gets married he can't even plan his own wedding it was and these are the same people who controlled frank sinatra's career okay so when elvis gets married he goes on frank sinatra's jet to milton prell's hotel colonel plans the wedding with all of his mob buddies Elvis is trapped. I always looked at Elvis on stage as a man, what a great, it'd be great to be Elvis. Elvis was miserable. You know, I mean, yeah, he, he, Elvis even married Priscilla at Prell's apartment in Las Vegas is a Latin hotel, right? So a very curious place for that famous of a guy to get married. Uh, yeah. Um, and I won't, there's things that I won't say on air about that marriage either, but very, very curious. So, Elvis is, is in misery. He's in he's in a velvet jail. He, he can have any girl he wants. He can have any car he wants. He can have any motorcycle he wants, which is great for a few years. But he has no freedom. He can't do anything. He's got golden handcuffs, and he gets sick of it. And they're starting to extort more money out of him. 
now that the mob is partnered with Colonel Parker, now Colonel Parker is being threatened. Why? Because the mob knows that he's not a citizen. So they're squeezing him. So the more they squeeze Colonel Parker, the more Colonel Parker squeezes Elvis. When Elvis died, he only had a million dollars in the bank. Where the hell did all the money go? Elvis sold six billion records. And this is at a time, actually, they don't have an accurate count. It was at least that. The Recording Industry Artists of America started tallying record sales well after Elvis had his first, his biggest years. Six billion records? That's incredible. Where'd all the money go? Which is probably going to be the focus of another book I'm going to write on Elvis at some point in the future. So Elvis is swimming in mob. He can't get away from him. So... He goes to Nixon and he wants this narcotics badge because he wants to carry guns. He also surrounds himself. He starts getting into um, martial arts. Elvis is a black belt. And he starts to surround his Memphis mafia with other people who were black belts, who were bad dudes. Um, it's starting to get very hot and heated around him. So Nixon says, sure. I'll, I'd love to have you. Elvis Presley hated drugs, street drugs. Um, one of the things they wanted Elvis to do during the two months a year that he spent through his contract working at the uh, International Hotel, which became the Las Vegas Hilton, and who the hell knows what it is now. Everything's changing out there. Was to hide FBI agents in his band. So their job... I mean, Elvis's Elvis's road crew was it was uh, twenty one tracker trailers. That's how big his show was. So I mean, you only need you know who needs five backup vocal singers, right? So he was hiding these FBI agents in his band, and their job was to bring down the mob. They were all caught, all of them. So Elvis died very mysteriously. Uh, a few days before he was supposed to turn state's evidence against the mob. And how they murdered him, I'm not going to give it away, how they murdered him was a situation where <sighs> the mob's very good at a few things, okay? Um, one of them is creating causes of death that are very, very hard or impossible to even detect. And I go into it in the book. I won't go into it here. But Elvis got stuck between the mob and the FBI, uh, and so many of the high-profile people did. And it's very hard for me. I've been, I've been looking into this for about 15 years now. i got two books written on it. And I'll probably do a third at some point. It's very difficult for me, even with everything that I know, even with all the Memphis Mafia I've talked to, even with speaking with his doctor and talking to the people at the autopsy. It's very interesting uh, when I watch him on stage or I watch like Aloha from Hawaii or something or I'll watch a movie. I still can't come to grips with the fact that, the, that they murdered this guy. It's very hard to come to grips with. It's incredible. He was young, 42. I mean, the achievements that he had were incredible. I mean, but he, he the, the people that he was, he was surrounded with, he had already divorced Priscilla. He had relationships with a woman that he was never going to marry. He was not interested in marrying again, right? Well, it depends on who you talk to. <laughs> okay, okay. 
you know, this is again, this is some of the uh, the official fiction and what you decide to to believe. Um, apparently, he was engaged and he was going to marry another girl. Allegedly, who knows if that's true? I mean, a lot gets stuck up in legend and lore. It's very hard. When I write these books, I have to be Mr. Spock, kind of. And I can't, you know, I have to look at the logic of it and the evidence of it. And the evidence is absolutely, uh, um, the evidence is, uh, is, is fantastic. When Colonel Parker died, uh, when Elvis died, Colonel Parker was probably one of the most degenerate gamblers we've ever seen. When he died in 1977, he owned $32 million to the, to the Las Vegas casinos. Wow, that's incredible. He kept booking Elvis there, and it was $40 to watch Elvis with a gourmet meal, and people certainly would have paid more. Um, Elvis got great attendance records, and Colonel Parker was at the tables. And it was just, it was incredible that, uh, you know, I hate to keep using that word, but I mean, I don't know if there is another word that all of this mix is going on around this country kid who could just sing. I mean, it, it was just amazing. This is why Elvis hated the business end of it. He just loved to go on stage and sing. He hated the business end of it because he knew they were all corrupt and he knew that they were all trying to steal from him. And they were, and they were, they were though. That's the whole thing. Like, wasn't his, his retinue, like uh, notoriously free with his money and all kinds of stuff. Like they were abusing his generosity, right? I'm sorry. You like to repeat that you broke. Well, I just thought that, that, that the entourage around Elvis, Elvis abused his generosity. They were notorious for that. If I, if I remember correct. Well, they didn't have to abuse it very well. They didn't have to ask for anything because he just gave and gave and gave. I mean, there was one, this guy was really, this guy was really something. I mean, the more I, the more I researched and learned about this guy and the more I talked to some of the Memphis mafia members, the more I started to realize what an incredible human being this guy was. There was a story where, I mean, he would give away Cadillacs and motorcycles like it was lunch money. It was just absolutely, uh, it was just absolutely amazing. There was one story where he was at, um, a Cadillac dealership in California and, he was in there buying, <coughs> excuse me, he was in there buying, it was just a Cadillac day. He decided he was going to go buy Cadillacs for everybody. I mean, he's making $125,000 a week playing on stage, you know, two, three times a night. You know, I mean, nobody works like that anymore in Vegas. I mean, it was almost like entertainment servitude. I mean, now you play, you know, every now and then, two, three shows a night. He was so tired by the time he got done playing that he was about cross-eyed, you know. So he's making 125 grand a week. It's a lot of money. So he decides he's going to go. When Elvis bought a Cadillac, he bought them for everyone that was around him. Same with motorcycles, same with horses, same with trucks, everything. So it was Cadillac day. So Elvis decides he wants this baby blue Cadillac with a white top. And he didn't, didn't matter to him if he gave it away the next day. He wanted that day, right? right? So he goes to this Cadillac dealership, and they can't find exactly what he's looking for. So... Um, he said, okay, well, Red, you're going to get this one, and Sonny, you're going to get that one, and this one's going to get that one. Still, no car for Elvis, right? So as they're walking out, there's this woman walking down the street, and this dealership is not in the greatest of neighborhoods. So this girl walks up for an autograph. Uh, she's about 30, and Elvis can tell she doesn't have much. She, was a little, she looked a little shabby. 
So he said, uh, she said, what are you doing here? And uh, he said, well, I'm buying a couple Cadillacs. You know, we just, we just decided on a whim to get Cadillacs. So he started talking to her. She was married and had two kids. And uh, long story short, he bought all of the guys with him Cadillacs that day. He bought her a Cadillac. He bought her husband a Cadillac and both of her son's Cadillacs. That's amazing. I mean, he just, he spent money. I heard that he would get, uh, send a plane to get his favorite sandwich from someplace in Colorado. Do you remember <laughs> that story? Wouldn't that surprise me. Yeah. Like, I just want that sandwich. Send the plane. Yeah, um, I mean, when you're on the spot and you can have anything you want anytime you want from anybody you want it from. Absolutely. Did you ever find out what happened to all his money? I mean, his, his heirs are still worth a fortune, aren't they? <laughs> I don't know. I can't speak for them, but I, I, I do know where a lot of the money went. Um, and, uh, I'm not, I'm going to, I'm going to hold on to that one. Cause that came to me through two Memphis mafia members who were no longer with us. And I think that's privileged information. So speaking of privileged information, I thought I was the only one that knew Elvis was murdered. Boy, was I surprised. So the first Elvis Presley's father, Vernon Presley, the first words out of his mouth, Oh my God, they've murdered my son. So, I mean, this, this begs two questions. Who are they and why did they murder him? So Vernon Presley was so convinced that Elvis Presley was murdered. He hired two private investigators to find the murderer. Wow. And Vernon died. They were hot on the trail and they were closing in. The problem was Vernon died shortly after Elvis. So all of the information that Vernon had ended up in my book. And I ended up like following through with it. Uh, there was a lot of people, Dick Grob, who just died. He was Elvis's chief of security. We lost Dick, I don't know, about 16, 18 months ago. I did not know Dick Grob. He was one of the only Memphis Mafia members that I didn't know. He wrote the book, The Elvis Conspiracy. He was on duty that night. And he wrote in his book some of the things that were extremely strange. He completely believed that Elvis was murdered. Uh, I didn't, I didn't know this. I published his book and then all these people come out of the woodwork. Yeah. What a great book. We knew he was murdered too. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. Um, Ginger Alden, uh, one of the quotes that she has said that, um, they were talking about foul play when they were investigating Graceland and she said she couldn't rule it out. Vernon was questioning her and, you know, I mean, she couldn't, she couldn't rule it out. Susanna Lee. This is a very interesting story. Susanna Lee was Elvis's co-star in Paradise Hawaiian style. Super nice lady, 16, to a, a horrible battle with, battle with liver cancer. And she said um, she knew in, immediately that Elvis was, uh, that Elvis had been murdered. And she said she was terrified to do the scenes with him because she had just left a movie with someone else and they were not very nice. And Elvis is the biggest star in the world. Elvis is Elvis Presley was more famous than anybody who's ever been famous. Average people. Yeah, he was talk, the king, right? That was his nickname. You're not kidding. Average people talk about meeting celebrities. Celebrity talk. Celebrities talk about meeting Elvis. I mean, this is he, he's the king. He really is. So she's terrified to meet him. And the first three or four scenes that she did weren't even with Elvis. They were with body doubles. There were two body doubles, one named Matt and one named John. And she did tell me their last names, but it's long gone. Now I can't recall. 
but she said they were the same size. They were surgically altered to look like Elvis. Wow. And, you know, like, I mean, obviously, you go to, uh, you know, fun in Acapulco, Elvis is not diving off those cliffs. I got news for you. Uh, so they were stunt men and body doubles. And she said the movie was well underway before she met Elvis. And if you look at Paradise Hawaiian style, there's a photograph of her with her arms around Elvis. And it's a photograph, and the two of them are looking at the camera, except there's one problem with that. That's not Elvis. This guy has very big jowls. He had a U-face shape, or a U-shaped face. Elvis had a very triangular face. So this Elvis is a live thing. This is who these people are seeing. The, these people are of that age, after Elvis died. And uh, I mean, believe me, I wish he was still alive. The man is not alive. Um, if he is, he's walking around without most of his vital organs uh, because the doctors still have him in dry ice, uh, or they did last time I knew. This is who these people are seeing. And I used to, I used to be part of that Elvis is Alive group uh, because they are finding things. They are finding evidence to suggest that he's alive. Problem is, the evidence that they're finding has been planted there for them to find. Because the more time we spend looking for Elvis at Burger King, the less time we spend solving this murder. Right. So they have to let this go and they have to get on board with the rest of the body of evidence. And I was in that camp for a long time too, until I saw the whole rest of the story. And now I realize, you know, how badly they want him. They wanted him dead. And it got to the point where they were coming after him so hard that um, right after Aloha from Hawaii, February 18th, Elvis is on stage in Vegas. And four guys rushed the stage. Wow. I mean, this is this is substantial. So a couple guys, um, Elvis had been getting death threats, and now it's getting physical. Now it's really ratcheting up. So Elvis had his security crew around him all the time, and they were behind the curtain watching the crowd just for this reason, you know. Four guys rushed the stage. Three of them got taken out by the bodyguards. One of them got to Elvis. And Elvis was off to the left-hand side of the stage. He really didn't, he wasn't paying attention. You know, he was probably kissing some girl or some stupid thing. So when he turns around, there's this guy, you know, coming after him. And Elvis foot swept him into the crowd. I mean, this is, and there was somebody who had video of that, that I was trying to buy the rights to that video. And I, kind of fell apart they wouldn't sell but i mean this isn't conspiracy talk this is real talk so uh, they really wanted elvis presley dead for a lot of reasons you know he uh started to cancel shows he had um he went on the house with colonel parker and elvis presley was standing in the way of a treasure trove of profits they started um box star boxcar enterprises in 1974, which was kind of like Elvis Presley Enterprises way before Elvis Presley Enterprises. So what that did is it was designed to make um, make money off his image, off his name. And Elvis got a piece of it, but like most of Colonel Parker's business dealings, it was grossly unfair to Elvis. So you have to ask yourself, 
August 16th, 1977. If you're old like I am, you'll know where you were when this happened because the world gasped. Right. All right. How did they like have Diana's death? Yeah. People remember when they were. How did they have all the records printed up ready to sell? How did they have all the, the, the t-shirts printed up in front of Graceland to sell if they didn't know he was going to be murdered or if he wasn't, you know, I mean, this is 1977. It, it's a little hard to today with more technology. I mean, you can you can spin off a record like that. It takes a while. There's a 1977. I mean, this is vinyl. <laughs> so you have to ask yourself if you're a conspiracy person or not. How the hell did they have all of them printed way ahead of time? It's very interesting. Very interesting question. Very interesting. Speaking of questions, somebody has a question for you. Can you answer kindness cake? Ask can Stephen elaborate on any FBI involvement, please? I'm sorry, involvement by Elvis. You mean just in the situation? Like, uh, was he affiliated with the FBI or anything like that? Elvis definitely became an informant for the FBI, or there. Or I don't know if it was specifically for the FBI, but he had a great working relationship with Nixon and, and, uh, and those types of FBI, you know, alphabet agency, you know, alphabet agencies in our law enforcement, because you have to realize we had just gone through the radical sixties. We went through the Vietnam protests and people were sick of it. And Elvis was very patriotic and he wanted to do his part. He wanted to take down this drug element because Elvis had a daughter and he was worried about what was coming up in America. He didn't want his daughter to grow up in that America. So um, he definitely was, uh, you know, he got his federal narcotics badge for lots and lots of reasons. And there are pictures in my book again. Oh, let's talk about getting the book. I mean, if you really want to get yeah. this book, grab it. Um, they're going away. Actually, physical books are going away. I'm, I have, I don't know, a handful left. And when they're gone, they're gone. I'm going all digital. I've had it with physical books. I'm tired of the supply chain issues. I'm tired of the price bouncing all around. And it's getting to the point where I have to sell a book for 30 bucks and I'm not going to do that. You know, I, uh, I just, I've just had it with the entire thing. So I'm going all ebook and audiobook um, very soon. So if you want your physical books, get them, go to whomurderedbooks.com and, uh, I'll even autograph it for you. Uh, and yeah, uh, I've got an autograph copy right here myself. So yeah, I mean, that's it. I'm done with physical books. I got a handful left and when they're gone, they're gone. <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, it was, um, the nerve Is with this book. I was on television in Memphis twice. Hmm. Well, no, one, two, three times. And um, I was invited back a few times, and I, I just never went. Um, I was coming off the studio, and I was talking about the book. And it was Elvis Week, which they used to call Death Week, but now they've, I guess they, they shopped it around, and Elvis Week sounded much better, so they call it Elvis Week now. It was a, it was the week he died. So I'm coming out of uh, the studio, and I'm walking to my car. And this police officer walks up to me, and this guy, you know, I'm no tiny guy. I'm 6'3". This guy is gigantic. I mean, this dude looked like a sheet of plywood, all right? And he's dressed like a cop, 
And he asks me, he says, are you the one that was just on television talking about Elvis's murder? And I said, yes. I'm thinking this guy wants a book or an autograph or something. The guy turns sideways and puts his thumb on the top of his holster. I said, if I were you, I wouldn't start naming names. And man, I ain't never been so scared before in my life. So <laughs> there's definitely something in in Graceland, or I'm sorry, in Memphis specific, there are people who know a lot of things down there and they're not talking. Susanna Lee, I have to come back to this story. Susanna Lee made the mistake of, she was great friends with Elvis. She lived in Memphis and she was great friends of his father. Elvis died. Graceland was, and um, she was helping Vernon go through all of this because Vernon wasn't in great health either. So, she made the mistake of going on television in 1978 saying, when are we going to solve the murder of Elvis Presley that everybody knows happened, but no one's talking about. As a matter of fact, even today, there, there are whispers around Graceland with some of the employees, and I know their names, and I'm not going to repeat them because I can't. They kind of know something happened that's not status quo. Why do you think they don't want you upstairs at Graceland? You can't start walking through a crime scene. This is the biggest case in history, and no one's talking about it. Anyway, Susanna Lee mentions it, and all of a sudden, uh, they they shot somebody shot at her a couple times. They clipped her brake lines. Um, somebody jumped the wall to her com condo, and she was a big dog lover, and she had seven dogs, and they killed six of her dogs, and one of the dogs was out in the garden and the guy didn't see it and the other dog just made mincemeat out of the guy he got prosecuted they finally stopped the subtle tactics and just burned her house down wow. i mean this she really paid a hell of a price and she was in the middle of writing she has one book out um paradise susanna style actually it's been a long time ago and she was in the middle of she was right at the end of publishing her last book about elvis's murder and we lost her. And uh, I, I was told that I can't do anything with it, obviously. But um, th people out there know the truth, for sure. They're just yeah. not talking. And I think they're afraid to talk. Yeah, they've probably been threatened, right? You talked about Jared Parker. Some guy took some bullets, too, right? Yeah, on the back of that book, there is a fella who is, there's a picture of him murdered and bleeding, and his name is Jared Parker. Jared Parker... <laughs> you can't make this up. Jared Parker was going to be the keynote speaker at an annual Elvis Presley conference in 2007, I think. And he had purchased at auction letters that Elvis Presley had written saying that people were following him and you know he was worried about his safety and so forth. On the way to give this keynote speech or this keynote address, the guy gets murdered, and guess what they steal? The they steal the letters that he had bought, <laughs> yeah. saying that uh, saying that Elvis had, uh, you know, <clears throat> in harm's way. And Steve, we're at uh, the forty-five minute mark. The best place to get the book is through whomurderbooks.com. Is that correct? Absolutely. That's my website. Um, I'm sure that that's the cheapest place to get it. Don't even bother looking at any other places. I saw it on. 
I saw it somewhere for sale for 1400 bucks. It's insane. Why would anybody pay that for anybody's book? Unless you're, you know, somebody much more famous than I am. You're Go to books.com. Um, if you want me to send it to autograph it to somebody, if it's somebody's birthday or something, I'll do it. No problem. I'd like to get rid of the handful of books I have left so I can go all audiobook now from now on. So I am reading my own my own audiobooks. Right. And there's a lot more in this book. You can approach the same, you approach the subject of his murder the same way you did Diana. So you take out anybody who can't be. So it's like a proper investigative progressive approach. So I highly recommend people check out this book. Is there anything yeah. you'd like to add or anything I missed you? Um, I just wanted to tell everybody that how I do my books is I tell the story in the first two chapters and then um, I tell the official fiction and then I go back with the questions and I answer the questions and I come up with a pool of suspects and I run the suspects through an investigation. Motive means an opportunity. So basically that's what writes the book. And I'm kind of like a sculptor who just chips away everything that, you know, is unnecessary to be seen. Um, so all of my books are written like that. There's six chapters around 200 pages. They're quick, easy reads. I keep them short because I know people are busy. Okay. Um, my next book is going to be on Nikola Tesla. Um, it's amazing to me how Nikola Tesla, who was a guy who didn't really care about financial gain, how he stepped on so many people's toes with great power. And in the end, they got him and stole all of his information. And we're using Wi-Fi today because of Nikola Tesla. Wow, but he was going to give it away. Today they're charging for it. That's right. going to be a hell of a book. Yeah, check it out. Again, the author's name is Steve Ubaney, and I will put the link to his website, whomurderedbooks.com, in the show notes. Steve, thanks so much for your time. Hey, it's always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right, all right take care. Stay there. Stay there.